Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Well, I think uh, even before the pandemic reached the Navajo Nation, we all felt that this was a serious event that was going to take place. Because it surrounded us and our first case didn't occur until after all the states around us had their first confirmed case. In indigenous communities, we're so tight-knit. We have multiple generations of family members living under one roof. And so if someone were to go off the nation or catch the virus somewhere and bring it in home, it will spread pretty quickly. And that's what happened. Well, the Navajo Nation, located in parts of Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico, has been one of the hardest hit areas of COVID-19 and now has the highest infection rate in the United States. And we do have a large percentage of our Navajo citizens who are in that uh, most vulnerable population category with uh, some uh, heart issues or health issues and cancers and diabetes. And to this day, we've lost 1,259 of our Navajo citizens and our thoughts and prayers go out to their families. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez on how one of America's hardest hit regions fought back against the coronavirus and now has become a vaccination success story. President Nez, looking back to almost a year ago, you had the highest COVID infection rate in the U.S. Today, that trend is reversed. You recently had zero cases and zero deaths in a 24-hour period. You have some of the best vaccination rates in America. What do you attribute that shift to? Well, I think as a sovereign government, we utilize our self-governance capacity to create policies and regulations and laws to help fight this virus. And to this day, we're still in a mask mandate. We've had it over a year now. Uh, We also have put some lockdown measures, weekend curfews, weekend lockdowns, and uh, even restricting our visitors here on the Navajo Nation. And we can do that as a tribal government, uh, our sovereign government. And, uh, you know, those are factors Uh, that we put in place that helped push back on the virus. And a lot of it was just getting the Navajo public informed. And that's the reason why you see a large percentage of people getting vaccinated here on the Navajo Nation. 246,465 shots, vaccines, have come to the Navajo Nation. And 211,298 have gone into the arms of our citizens. And that's 85.7% of what we receive have gone into the arms of our people. And 90,942 of our citizens are fully vaccinated. And I think really it it contributes to the healthcare professional answering questions and bringing confidence to the vaccine vaccine. And we do see some, as they say, light at the end of the tunnel here on the Navajo Nation. But we're not out of the pandemic yet. we got to continue to wear our masks, social distance, wash our hands with soap and water, use hand sanitizers, and stay at home as much as we can. 
I want to talk a little bit more about vaccinations. Much of the U.S. is trying to deal with vaccine hesitancy right now. There are some states where shipments of shots are going unused. You in the Navajo Nation have administered almost all of your doses. How have you convinced your community to get vaccinated, not just on a broad scale, but personally? Well, information. Getting information to our Navajo citizens was key. We have town hall meetings every Tuesdays and Thursdays. We had one today. We had Dr. Fauci on our town hall meetings. We had Dr. Burloff from Pfizer answering questions, our healthcare experts answering questions. And that was key. And also for us as leaders, you know, uh, we got the vaccine on television, letting our Navajo people know that if we're asking our citizens to take the vaccine, we better do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you know, we use our teaching, our way of life and our culture. For instance, uh, we're told throughout our history that monsters come to plague the Navajo people at times, you know, and we utilize that same way of life teaching for this COVID-19 virus. It's another monster that's coming in to attack our our Navajo people. But we do have the weapons. We do have the armor to to fight this uh, monster called COVID-19. And the armor, you know, is uh, these protocols that we put in place, the, the vaccines. And I think by framing it that way and utilizing our teaching, our elders understood that we needed to abide by these very strict protocols. And they were the ones who, you know, held our Navajo citizens accountable Hmm. and said, don't be traveling off the Navajo Nation. Stay at home. Don't be going to the store or everything. Just go there once a week or twice a week only and stay out of a high-populated area. Our elders really uh, assisted in keeping these numbers down. Uh Uh-huh. But we can't stop what we're doing. And what sometimes is difficult is other jurisdictions around us do not take this pandemic seriously. We're so interconnected now more so than ever before that we need to all work together. Other jurisdictions, the state of Arizona and New Mexico, uh, Utah, Colorado, we should be all doing the same thing so that we can all bring these numbers down. And I think now you see a rise in cases in, in many states throughout the country, and it's it's concerning. It's also concerning for us here on the Navajo Nation. So you're saying you think states like Arizona, states like Utah, are doing a disservice to communities like yours around them by not having things like mask mandates in place? All jurisdictions around us, you know, all across the country. You know, half of our population live off the Navajo Nation, and our contact tracers are, are telling us that Navajo citizens catch the virus, then they bring it home into the household. But uh, we've been doing a good job lately to let people know, you know, if someone that's not living with you outside your bubble is going to visit, then now's not the time to do it. And uh, again, our elders are really helping keep our Navajo young people accountable for their decisions. It's interesting hearing you talk about the central role elders in the Navajo Nation have played and are playing here. And looking back at when your nation was extremely hard hit by the pandemic, this is a virus that older people are at a much higher risk of getting seriously ill or dying from. And I'm curious, 
What do you feel like you've lost as a nation and as a culture during this pandemic that you can't get back? Well, I think families have lost the history, their family history, when they have lost their elders because our elders took some of that teaching with them. But we're we're such a big nation that we are able to continue the Navajo way of life teaching. Hmm. And so I think that will always continue. But our our thoughts and prayers go out to those families who've lost elders. And I said 1,259 of our citizens lost their lives to COVID-19, and two-thirds of those have been our elders. Wow. Uh, I think the loss at the family level will be uh, seen into the future, but that's where other clan members can help teach uh, the family history to others, and that's why we're really encouraging our uh, Navajo citizens while they're at home. You know, it shouldn't be about... Uh, I'm being forced to stay home. It should be about, oh, we have an opportunity here now with being at home with our elders and our children to pass that teaching down to the next generation and also to document uh, some of their uh, teachings as well. You know, look look at what we're doing right now. I'm recording on an iPad. Mm-hmm. We should be doing that with our elders as well so that that teaching can be passed down from one generation to the next. Mm. Do you feel, as a nation, that you've been receiving the support that you need from the federal government in the U.S., you know, both from the Biden administration right now and looking back to when President Trump was in the White House? Well, it's night and day now. Mm. You know, the previous uh, administration, uh, we all know there was a slow response and even getting funds uh, to tribal governments, you know, with the CARES Act funds, uh, tribal governments had to wait while the rest of the jurisdictions were utilizing the CARES Act to push back on the virus. We had to wait for Treasury to develop a formula. And then also we had to take the federal government to court just to get our share. We're U.S. citizens to get our share of resources And it was late. Do you attribute some of the difficulty and some of the high numbers of cases and and problems you had with the virus initially to a lack of support from the federal government under the Trump administration? I I don't know. You know, we'll we'll find out in the years to come. We don't want to blame anybody for anything, especially the deaths. Uh, But resources were slow coming into Indian country. And Navajo was hit hard uh, because of uh, the lack of resources. And and that even goes before COVID-19. Indian Health Services has been underfunded since the start of the IHS. So now with a new administration, you know, within days and weeks, we had a seat at the table. We still are having discussions now with the White House. Yesterday, we met with the uh, uh, Interior Secretary, uh, Deb Holland, and listening to tribal communities regarding protecting our lands and co-management. So there's a different perspective that uh, Deb Holland will bring, and and we're having a, a opportunity to get our questions answered and our, our needs addressed and to catch up with the rest of the country. You know, 30 to 40 percent 
of our Navajo people don't have running water in the most powerful country in the world, I always say. That shouldn't happen. And I appreciate, you know, interviews like this that will bring attention to the need for equity for tribes throughout the country. But at, at the same time, it also should also reflect that tribal go- governments are strong, they're resilient, and they have overcome some tough time in our history. And we'll do the same once again after COVID-19. But here's an opportunity with a new administration that will help us, you know, 31 plus billion dollars going into Indian country. That hasn't happened ever in the history of this country. And here's an opportunity for uh, tribal communities to improve the quality of life for our citizens with infrastructure, water, electricity, broadband, telecommunication, better roads, building homes, so that we can get prepared for COVID-19 if it stays around or any other virus into the future. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez. Thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having us on your show. Also today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is calling out China, saying the world still needs to get to the bottom of the origins of COVID-19. In an interview with NBC over the weekend, Blinken said, quote, I think China knows that in the early stages of COVID, it didn't do what it needed to do, which was to in real time give access to international experts, in real time to share information, in real time to provide real transparency. A World Health Organization report released last month acknowledged that WHO's investigators had been unable to fully solve questions about the origins of the pandemic. And reports during and after the WHO investigation indicate that China didn't fully cooperate with the investigators. Blinken says China's lack of transparency, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, made the situation worse than it would have been. And... Some Republican leaders are pushing back against incendiary comments made by former President Donald Trump over the weekend. During a speech Saturday night at a Republican National Committee donor retreat, Trump went off script using profanities to describe Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and saying he was disappointed in former Vice President Mike Pence for not fighting the certification of the election results in January. In an interview with CNN on Sunday, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson called the comments, quote, not helpful in uniting the party. Representative Liz Cheney, an outspoken critic of Trump, told NBC the speech used, quote, the same language that he knows provoked violence on January 6th and that as a party, Republicans need to be focused on the future. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned in just a minute to hear more about a brand new weekly Politico podcast called Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, right? Boy, is it ever, you know, is it ever. What's it like behind the scenes in our nation's capital? Like the side that most people never get to see. D.C. is a D.C. is a place where um, um, is the town filled with status obsessed, narcissistic, backbiting people. Everybody has an agenda. When someone calls to curse me out, it's not fun, and people should stop doing that. Didn't your mama tell you to be nice? At Politico, we hear it all. 
and coming soon, you will too. The old cliche that Washington is Hollywood for ugly people does still ring true. So while people might not wear great suits, a lot of it might be polyester and maybe not well-fitted, you just have to be aware that there is money involved in everything in Washington. Power. And a lot of it. Arm twisting and influence very quickly muddy what folks intended to do or wanted to do. Presenting Politico's new podcast, Playbook Deep Dive, where Playbook insiders spill their secrets, gossip, lies, bad behavior. Oh, actually, you should probably cut that because that's, that might be illegal. <laughs> and everything else that happens behind closed doors. And if anybody knows Lisa Murkowski, it's that she walks extremely fast. <laughs> okay. And she knows how to get in out without people seeing her. <laughs> I found it incredibly difficult and awkward to ask a U.S. congressman if he was an arsonist in front of his wife. We're in high heels. We can't do it anymore. We literally take our high heels off. <laughs> We're barefoot in the middle of D.C. How disgusting is that? But we've got to find this woman. Often at the end of the day... All of those backbiting people are doing things for a more just cause than most things in Hollywood. And underneath all the theater, the backstabbing, the strategy. You come here to change your country for the better and to, to do good things for the nation. The biggest reason these stories matter is simple. Because there are real life consequences. I just kept hearing gunfire. Um, and I lie there, I had my, I was lying on my left side, um, with my head down, trying to pretend that I was dead. And sometimes, stories that stop you in your tracks. As when Representative Jackie Spear relived her near-death experience. And I was shot five times, and I looked at the right side of my body... I was, I knew I was dying. Playbook Deep Dive is a new weekly podcast from Politico. Those juicy, weird, insider, important stories in politics are what we're going to be telling each week. I don't know if you saw this, and I'm looking at a piece by Politico. Politico has this story. Featuring reporters from all around the Politico newsroom and characters from all across Washington, D.C., so please join us for Politico Deep Dive, coming April 23rd. Have a look at this in Politico.